0: Good morning, Arizona homeowners. Welcome to our number four of Rosie on the House. It's our 10 o'clock hour. This hour is designated to one specific topic about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Following our first ever home maintenance calendar, as part of our 30th anniversary celebration. It's something we put together and distributed to all of our listeners. Anybody that would like one, you just send us the email. You want the address you would like it sent to info at rosieonthehouse.com and we'll get one sent out to you you could also any of our certified partners also have stacks of these that they have with them at their showrooms and on their trucks and you can always request one from one of our partners if you've got one at your house or you're driving by one of their showrooms or office fronts you can run in and pick one up and february is pest control we talk about pests four different ways well this week we're talking about protected pests what happens when there's an animal in your yard that you would need a hunting license for or uh, is protected by Arizona Game and Fish and the Wildlife Department. How how do you handle those protected pests? Next week we're talking about good pests. Praying mantis. Good pests. Uh, Ladybugs. Is that why
1: I heard our writer on the phone with a ladybug wholesale company ordering 20,000 ladybugs? Yep. What are we going to do? Eat your aphids. <laughs> what are we going to do with 20,000? <laughs> We're going to
0: wipe out the aphid population <laughs> in Arizona. Okay. Good <laughs> bugs. That's next
1: week. Good What's bugs.
0: A, a good snake to leave alone. They delete the rattlesnake that comes around. So identifying the pests that are not harmful to humans or pets or animals, but also help control those other aggravating pests. The following week, we'll be talking Ants and termites, and then we'll wrap up with uh, a specialty on on flying pests. So, very good. Moving into March, we'll cover windows and doors. April, it's perfect time of the year to talk about outdoor livings. May, we move to the garage. June is roofing. July is air conditioning. August is water. September is uh, fall planting. October's painting. November's home finance, and then December we'll wrap up with American made tools as part of our toolkit we've put together for our 30th anniversary. You can go to rosieonthehouse.com and click on the 30th anniversary tab and learn more about that toolbox. It's American-made tools that are all custom etched with Rosie on the House logoing, and you can order a kit. All proceeds go to our nonprofit as our thank you for 30, and you'll have a toolkit that'll last you the rest of your life made by American labor and American materials. Absolutely. But- Coming back around to, Bring today. us to today's
1: topic, which the calendar always does. That was that's the great concept behind that calendar, is to keep us focused on what we're supposed to be studying. And today, if you're a subscriber to our email newsletter, you got it in Thursday's email. It's five urban pests and how to handle them. And we we'll, won't we won't limit the conversation just to these because I know there are others. But we talked specifically about if your yard is, uh, if the javelina find your heart yard particularly desirable or coyotes or rabbits or woodpeckers or mule deer. I live in a very urban part of town uh, and our neighbor, Pat, has a little dog named Buddy. And Buddy was in the backyard. We have half-acre lots. Buddy was in the backyard. A coyote jumped the masonry wall and had a serious fight with Buddy. And we were just barely able, Pat was just barely able to get Buddy back in the house. So we all have them. And they seem that some of these pests seem to be urbanizing even a little bit more aggressively. So I thought what we'd do is we'd reach out to Arizona Game and Fish Department and bring in Mr. Darren Julian, who is the Urban Wildlife Specialist. And Romy, you may be surprised by this. He doesn't just work on the ASU campus.
0: <laughs> nice. Huh? Darren,
1: bring Darren in. He is. Good morning, Rosie and Romy. How are you doing this morning? Good. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Very good. Thank you. All right. Well, we appreciate Carvin. Time out of your Saturday morning to join us and all the listeners at Rosie on Us. kind of talk through an issue we hear a lot about at, at our office? And we're never quite sure the, the PC method of giving them advice on how to handle it. Can we just kind of go through like the most common urban pests that you see you have to handle? What are the phone calls you get at Arizona Game and Fish about, help me, there is a blank in my yard. What is it? Well, typically in the most uh, calls that we
2: get are the urban coyotes, uh, followed secondarily by the javelina issues. And then uh, coming up right behind that is, and kind of new within the last few years is uh, more and more people dealing with bobcat issues. And the biggest issues that I deal with are uh, a lot of times it's either property damage issues by javelina or it's uh, pet concerns related to
1: coyotes and other predators. I can imagine you heard me talking about our neighbor had a coyote come over the back wall. And I mean, this is a this is a six foot tall masonry wall. And uh, I did a little research for her and they actually make little rollers that you can buy to put on the top of those walls. So as the coyote comes up, he hits a ball bearing floated uh, bar that spins. So he can, mm-hmm. he can never get any it. it's, it's I, I keep waiting to watch one try because it's going to be pretty funny. <laughs> Need a little game trail out there.
0: A little game camera. A game camera, yeah.
1: And interestingly, interestingly enough, those are called coyote rollers. <laughs> All right, good. So you've seen them
2: used before. Yes, and, and um, pretty effective tool and stuff, though. But, you know, if you do have small pets, uh, we have to consider other predators that uh, may where your animals still may be at risk if they're even in your backyard. And there's certainly ways to keep coyotes out of your backyard, but a little harder to keep the the flying uh, predators out of your yard as well, like your hawks and owls this time of year.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I want and I do want to get to those in particularly because a, a note of special interest to me is I noticed in y'all's early season closures. We now have like 22 closed areas for bald eagle nesting, and I, and I want to get to that later because I can remember just 10 or 15 years ago, there, there were like two places we would close, and now we've got 22. That's got to be good news for the bald eagles. You but, bet. But let's stick on the flying javelina and coyotes for now. <laughs> You'd think that the coyotes can fly the way they can get up over, you know, six to eight foot fences and walls like that. And are they generally, these urban coyotes, are they, generally when I see them, I very seldom see them in a group. It's it's a solitary dude out there looking around. Um, it just depends. I mean, a lot of times our urban
2: coyotes are territorial, and depending on the circumstances, the food availability within their territory – they can have, you know, a, a small territory or a very large territory. But typically it just depends on the time of year whether you see solitary animals versus um what people say that are packs, but they're family units. So it would be, you know, the dominant male and female and then young of the year as they're, you know, teaching them how to hunt and get and survive and, and showing them their territory. So depends on the time of year.
0: You may see one coyote, two coyotes, and there could be up to seven or eight coyotes. You get there. on the outskirts of town sometimes at night. It sounds like there's a thousand r- r- around you. <laughs> well, you do. And, 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 and my mom, baby Kay, lives on a golf course. And there are nights
1: you can be sitting in her backyard and you think, think you're on yellow jacket mesa up there completely surrounded by families of coyotes. They're, they're howling all the way around you. And this yep. is a, this is a, a, a golf course. That's right in the middle of town.
2: <laughs> yeah. And interestingly enough. I mean, there's only really at this point, one place where we're not you know, getting any coyote calls and that's like downtown, downtown Phoenix, you know, down, you know, around the, the, uh, baseball and
1: basketball stadiums down in that country. And when you get the call, what can a homeowner expect your response to be? Well, a lot of what we do, and
2: probably 95% of what we do, is provide education, information and education on how people can live with these animals. Um, there, There's a whole gambit of things that people can do, things that cost a lot of money and, and things that don't require time and effort. That's like hiring a company to do trap and removal, uh, those type of companies are listed on our web pages. Uh, there's the modifying your fencing, the coyote rollers. There's decorative wrought iron, different things like that, you know, to keep coyotes out of your yard. But the stuff that's that's effective, just as effective, uh, but very inexpensive, requires time and effort. And a lot of it comes down to what we do to provide food sources, attractants, if you will. For those animals or for those animals that these coyotes are looking for as a as a food source. So if we can remove the food sources and then the other part of it is how we interact with them. As these animals are around people and and they're not being chased off or threatened, they're learning from us every day and if we're not a threat then you know their normal daily situation is you know people are around and they're not afraid of us and they're coming up you know within close proximity to people and they're finding food you know, so they're just going to keep capitalizing on those food resources closer and closer to people.
1: Well, the good thing about coyotes is they they won't dig generally your yard up. They're surface shoppers, and they're looking for easy prey. They're looking for that that poodle, that mini schnauzer, that rabbit, that cat, that chicken that may be in the yard. <laughs> but the 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 ones that I've seen cause a lot more damage destroying irrigation systems tearing up entire succulent gardens destroying paver areas are the javelinas (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and they're they're very good diggers and
2: typically you see a lot of a lot of our javelina calls coincide when uh people are overseeding their lawns. so not only if they're using natural um, uh, fertilizers with grubs and things like that or, you know, in that in that substance uh, just the fact that your ground is soft and, and moist and easy to dig in so we do see a lot of damage you know late you know September early October and then when they're overseeding for the, the summer lawns as well.
1: We're here with Darren Julian, urban wildlife specialist from Arizona Game and Fish. If you've got an urban wildlife encounter, story, or problem you'd like to share with us, give us a call at the toll-free number, one 767
3: 4348
1: Urban Pests. We've invited folks to call in if they're battling or fighting an urban pest. Give us a ring at 1-888-748 because we're an expert on the line with us the rest of this hour up until 11 o'clock. Mr. Darren Julian, the Urban Wildlife Specialist from Arizona Game and Fish Department. We have people calling wanting to tell stories about urban encounters, wildlife encounters. Darren, I'm going to start with mine, okay? You bet. I'm a kid. I'm spending the night at my uncle's house with my cousins. He has this fox that's been getting into the chicken coop like for four nights in a row. So he loads the double barrel shotgun and puts it by the back door, waiting for the chickens to start alerting and sending the alarm, the fox is back. On time, about one thirty in the morning, all the chickens are going nuts. Uncle, and you had said earlier you live in an urban area.
0: This, this is, is this is rural farmland, South Louisiana. Louisiana. This is out in you, the country in Louisiana. You can't see town light glowing from any direction. It's so far out
1: in the country. Uncle Jerry sleeps in a t-shirt and nothing else, nothing else, just a t-shirt, just barely long enough to cover what needs to be covered. So he's sneaking out in front of us with his double barrel shotgun up to the chicken coop. And he's got this hound dog named Nose. Well, Nose comes up behind Uncle Jerry and puts wet his noses. nose and, and wet nose is his behind. And we're so close to the chicken coop at this time. The wet nose on Uncle Jerry's behind causes a reflex for him to squeeze both triggers of the double barrel shotgun, and he promptly kills 12 chickens. So me and <laughs> me and my uncle, me and my cousins were up until breakfast. Plucking chickens. Working on next night's dinner. <laughs> we were <laughs> plucking chickens. So, Darren, we were talking about javelina. Let's get back to javelina. We never dealt with javelina down in Louisiana. Not yet. They're probably moving that way. Are they really? <laughs>
2: well, they're they're it's it's an amazing creature that they've they're a tropical animal that have moved you know up into Arizona. We've got them as far north as Flagstaff, you know, and I don't know how an animal that doesn't have fur they just have hair stays warm in those
1: winters in, in flagstaff up there but they're expanding their ranges and that and that is new I mean 30 40 years ago we wouldn't see them above the rim would we right exactly very interesting I wonder I wonder what would drive them up there I mean they I know they're looking for family habitat but I mean they just have to be freezing up there. You would think, but, you know, animals kind of
2: adapt and overcome, uh, you know, you know, just like coyotes, you know, they've adapted to living in and amongst us, you know, so a lot of that kind of, uh, we've, we're seeing some
1: adaptation right during our lifetime. We are. All right. Well, uh, Darren, you've loaded up the phone lines. Every single line is filled. <laughs> Somebody has a story of one type or another. Let's bring, that's Merle into the conversation. Good morning, Merle. Let me introduce Merle. you to- Merle. Darren Julian, Urban Hi, Wildlife Darren. Specialist at Arizona Game and Fish.
4: Well, we live in Picture Rocks, and it's a bunch of uh, small horse properties. And there is a resident uh, a bobcat that has gotten has lost its fear of uh, humans pretty much. Yeah. And uh, I went, we have learned to control the peccaries and the rattlesnakes and the the uh, desert toads but the bobcat is a little harder and i don't want to kill it cuz a lot of the neighbors like have them. Uh, the chicken with the horse control works pretty well. Uh, I was wire around the top of the fencing might keep the bobcat out or is it just going to jump over it?
2: Yeah, the, the, the fencing. Is once that animal jumps up on there and gets zapped, where do they go? they go in or out? And now you <laughs> they may be stuck. Oh, yeah. yeah, some of them are as bobcats. It's in a, in a hose with the sprayer on it. Um, soak them down. Just like a domestic cat, they don't like being soaking wet. And they're going to, you know, associate. may take you a few times, stuff though, of, of soaking them down before they realize that, hey, this is where I get, you know, kind of beat up and, you know, the, the, the water's going to irritate them and, and they're going to start to avoid that location. Um, the other thing, though, too, is to look at, you know, why they may be attracted to GR. Do you say you have chickens?
4: Yeah, I put chickens in with the horses, or I did have. They have cleaned out the chickens,
2: and it controls mm-hmm.
4: the fly population.
2: Yeah, the, the, with, with chickens and stuff, though, I mean, you've got a food source, so you need to contain them, you know, use sturdy construction. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, good information on the websites on how to bur- uh, build a bobcat or predator-proof uh, chicken coop. Uh, other other things you may use would be, you know, guard animals. Um, and then something as simple as they make these motion-activated sprinkler heads that you can put out if the animals are coming in at night and stuff, though, just to kind of set it and forget it, and then uh, that provides that water deterrent to, to scare them well, off. Well, if
4: I, if I put them in a um, bobcat-proof uh, coop, then they're not going to be out there. Scratching through the manure and eating all the fly larvae. So, uh,
2: right, yeah. So there's, there's there is trade offs and stuff though, and you know you you know certain people will take that you know as you know ca- kind of a cost of doing business, whether you lose a few chickens a week or you know every month or something like that. You know you kind of build that into your 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 cost of doing business. Um, versus well, you, you know, know your natural
4: all out A day he'll kill eight in a day.
1: Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. He'll come- All right, everybody, hang on. We're going to take a short break and be right back with Darren Julian, Urban Wildlife Specialist from Arizona Game and Fish.
5: Three javelinas went on their way out to build houses on one fine day. Came to a crossroads, drink a cafe. Here they go on their separate ways. Little pig takes some
1: tumbleweed, he built his house up in record speed. No time at all, the house is all done. Tumbleweed Avenue, number one. There you go. The Ur- urban Pest, like in me. and about and around your house. We just took a call from Merle, from northwest Tucson, uh, kind of out there by Marana, north of Sawara National Park, a bobcat in the area. It was killing as many as eight chickens a day. I like his idea of using the chickens for fly control in the arena. But I've got – let's bring Darren back into the conversation. But I've got to get to Ken's question because if anybody's going to know the answer to Ken's question, (laughs) it's going to be my son, Romy. Ken, good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fine, okay?
5: One thing that I used to do in addition to what I'm going to ask you the first question, I'd take PVC pipe, like half inch. Glue it together, make the U on my wall, and then I put it out about three feet, and then I take and run it an area. You know, I've got nothing behind me, if you know what I'm saying, and I put my electric fence in there. And now I have it about three, four feet outside the wall, and I have nothing ever jumps over. Okay.
1: Okay. I get, so you're ex- you're extending the electric fence up high out away from your wall so they'll hit it as they're coming over, keeping them from that point yeah, of trying yeah, to decide. Yeah, okay. and,
5: and, you know, and years ago I did just the opposite to keep my dog in the yard. Okay, okay all right. And then when I got rid of my dog, it would jump the wall. Uh, I put it outside <laughs> in one area. Where, but what I think, I have a friend who swears that to keep javelina and coyotes and all that away, he has his wife store urine for him, collected. And once a month, he pours urine around the outside, three, four feet outside his, uh, where he really has a uh, you know fence. It's really not a wall. And he says, if you put that out there once a month. And I Well, I'm single. I guess. And he said, no, it only works for female urine. And I just wonder what <laughs> what expert well, experts got to say.
1: Uh, you know, <laughs> so, I I thought <clears throat> I thought Romy would be the expert. He's he's got my four year old grandson. Has that young has that boy ever used an indoor bathroom? <laughs>
0: not that you can
1: remember let's bring darren into the conversation and see what he has to say about that how about human urine as a deterrent to urban uh pests that want to come in your yard well i know there's been some talk of that and i don't know
2: how much studies that's a that's that's been done on that um as And my counterpart in Tucson, they recommend using male urine. So they're they're telling single ladies that if they have a male friend to pee in a spray bottle and go spray around, you know, (laughs) the yard about 18 inches up and stuff, though, where these bobcats would come in and and be attracted to that. Bonide
0: is is an American-made product, and they have a product called Repels All that comes mm -hmm. bottled, and you can just spray it, and it. When you're done, you don't it
1: just saying. Yeah, it's there's a, an alternative. A, a little bit more <laughs> hygienic. And Romy, what what about we we've kept bobcats off our property with that motion activated lawn garden hose. Okay.
0: Uh, it's called a scarecrow. Contact makes uh, it. It's a Canadian-based company, or was. It seems like the last few times I find a, tried to find Contact, they're not around. But the scarecrow brand is. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out who's who's manufacturing. But regardless, you plug it up to a hose. You put a nine-volt battery, in, and it has about a twenty-foot diameter on a ni- on a ninety or hundred and eighty-degree radius. And you can daisy chain it, so you could put three or four sure. of these up around. And create a parameter, and any time it picks up motion, it it shoots off a burst of water.
2: Yeah, I, I we yeah, use... those work very well for bobcats year round. Uh, but in the winter times, they'll work on a whole host of things that are coming into your yard, including coyotes and javelina and things like that. Because especially if they're coming in at at night, pre-dawn hours when it's cold out, these animals don't want to be wet,
1: so it can be very effective in the winter time as well. All right. Now I can remember a particular instance in a in, in when our drought was about the worst, I want to say it may be as long as ten years ago. We y'all were actually getting calls of bears in East mm-hmm. Mesa. Now, how how do you handle a bear in my neighborhood phone call? <laughs> Well, bears are a little bit different,
2: Um, not only big game animal, but they are uh, predatory as well and stuff though. So, you know, we kind of look at, you know, the potential human risk or human safety risk when it comes to that. The other part of it is you got bears coming into the Valley. This is not bear habitat, so they are not where they should be. So anytime you have a bear in the Valley here and stuff, you know, we ask that you call us, you know, either call our 24 hour uh, number or operation game thief hotline And we'll come out and we'll try to get that bear out of here. Uh, It actually was in 2000, so it's been a little while, where we had 22 such bears that came into the valley. One made its way even real about a quarter mile from ASU's main campus. So, yeah, pretty crazy year when there was extreme drought. None of the food sources uh, materialized that year. You know your prickly pear fruit, your your acorns and things like that. So these, it was mostly younger bears, younger uh, younger males that were getting kicked out of you know good places, you know good food source areas,
1: and they're just trying to find their way and they just kept going and ended up in the valley here. Y'all dart them and then relocate them and hope they don't come back. Is that is that the management plan there and, hope, and pray for rain and they get their food sources back where they should be? exactly if they're if they're young bears like most of those were uh then then they get a second
2: chance um and we put try to find you know i think with those bears they got housed at southwest wildlife until uh, a appropriate time of year to get, get put back out there when things kind of when there's more food sources uh the other thing you know was is you know look at the what kind of interaction they're doing if they're a, a problem bear and causing problems you know um they may not have, they may not get the second chance and stuff, though. It depends on what, what the interaction, if they're aggressive towards people,
1: uh, we're not going to relocate a problem there like that. Well, I can tell you, we're going to bring Karen into the conversation, and she's going to talk about an urban pest that we talk about in the article, that we probably get more phone calls than any other urban pest. Karen, good morning out in Queen Creek. Welcome to Rosie on the House.
3: Thank you. So, yeah, this, I'm about ready to cut this Aurora down. Um, This started last year, and this woodpecker has made a, a hole. Well, he's on his third hole, and I don't, you know, I thought, well, that's what they do, except that as he works away making this hole, he is splattering the side of my house with this black sticky stuff which is near impossible to get off. And it's on my bedroom window and on the windowsill. And I can take my hose and I can put it on the, you know, the super spray. And I can stand out there for 20 minutes and, and practically flood my backyard and get most of it off. But the next morning he's up there, you know, and it starts all over again.
1: All right, Darren, that's a tough one. Woodpeckers. Well, I'm not sure what the black. I mean, I tried
3: tried sticking a lemon tree. I I had a friend go up there and put a lemon in the hole. Well, that lasted about five minutes. And then, (laughs) you know, I've tried spraying the holes with different things.
0: I had a friend that went up and, and
3: put some wire up over one of the holes. And what he ended up, the woodpecker stands on the wires to work on the the hole, so that didn't work.
1: All right. Well, you've certainly tried a few things. Uh, Let's turn it over to Darren here. Darren, what do you think? Well, woodpeckers are poking
2: holes in your house for uh, only a few reasons and stuff, though. One would be, you know, springtime, they're trying to excavate a location to have a nest homes aren't a very good location to build a nest, but sometimes that happens. The other thing would be, first and foremost, you want to look at your home to make sure you don't have any problems with wood-boring insects, particularly termites. Um, Because these animals, uh, the woodpeckers will dig into wood siding and things like that to, you know, for uh, uh, termites and other wood-boring insects, the larvae and things like that. So that would be part of your solution the other things is look at things to deter them whether it's hanging mylar tape um, uh, cds that are going to flash sunlight they they even go so far as to make these uh, uh, big old spider things that detect that pecking and pounding noise and they come down and they wiggle and flash their eyes there's a whole bunch of commercial products right after that if you're not having any relief To physically and get rid of, to you know, in completely get rid of that woodpecker, it does require a permit from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service because almost all birds are protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and you will need a depredation permit in order to take or to kill that woodpecker. So, but they're not just going to give you a a permit without trying all these non-lethal things. Um, But first and foremost, look at you know why it's attracted to that area. And then look at all these other uh, methods uh, to discourage it. You know, there's all kinds of different things that are out there. If you sim- simply Google woodpecker control, you'll find a whole host of information on on online.
1: And Karen has a, a tougher problem than most people, where they're actually pecking on the house. Uh, the, Correct. This this bird is doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing, pecking in a swore. The swore is apparently so close to the house. That the debris, the the mucus is landing on her house, uh, Karen. You've got a tough problem. There's going to be a, is it going to be any easy way to keep that bird off of that cactus? We have recommended for years that if you have a woodpecker pecking in a particular area of your home, to cover that entire area with Tabasco sauce and cayenne red pepper, and that seems to be a pretty good darn deterrent. Darren, have you ever tried that? I have not tried that and stuff. Though um, typically, stuff that smells isn't going to be a good deterrent
2: for birds because birds or birds don't have a very effective, um, uh, very effective nasal cavity and stuff. Though, but you know that taste and certainly can can probably irritate them if it gets on them. Uh, that could probably be pretty effective. You know, kind of think of you know these any of these problems and stuff. Though, it's the more things you do in combination with each other is the Better you're gonna have better results. You're gonna have longer lasting results. You'll have as well. Uh, and I didn't catch that they were picking on a saguaro. At least the, the, the saguaro
1: is not your home, so it's probably you know lesser of two evils. Right. You. Right. Okay. Let's see if we can bring Susan into the conversation real quick. We've got Susan, Johnny, and Darlene all want to talk to Darren. Susan, real quick, please. Oh, um,
3: Suzanne. Yes. Okay. I just have a story about a coyote last Saturday on Lindsay and Baseline in Gil. Okay. Um, so, my sister recorded a coyote burying a chicken in her backyard. And um, then the coyote left and they dug up the chicken.
0: <laughs> he was.
3: And he, I guess there's no more free range chickens anymore. I don't know, but.
0: That coyote was seasoning his meat. You know, they don't always <laughs> like it fresh. Sometimes you got to age your meat a little bit.
1: <laughs> Is that a typical coyote behavior, Darren?
2: Uh not typical, but if they have, you know, killed more than they can eat, we do see uh, occasionally will they where they will cache uh some food sources and stuff. It's pretty typical of a of a bobcat or a cat doing that, whether it's a bobcat or a mountain lion, you know, caching a food source and coming back for it again and again. Um uh, but occasionally coyotes we will see
1: coyotes do that as well. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to be talking about keeping rabies from your domestic animals. Hang on, Johnny. You're next. And welcome back, y'all, to the final segment this Saturday morning of Rosie on the House. We're here visiting with. Wildlife urban specialist from Arizona Game and Fish Department, Mr. Darren Julian. And Darren, we've got Johnny on the line, and he has a question I think that a lot of homeowners probably have the same concern, particularly if they're living in an area where urban pests are common. Johnny, good morning. Welcome to Rosie on the House.
4: Well, hi there, Rosie. I wanted to ask uh, your guest about coyotes uh, getting mixed up with dogs because it's kind of hard to always contain the dogs out here in the unincorporated areas of Pima County.
2: And uh, I was wondering if the spread of rabies has really been concerned. Well, Johnny, good morning. And, you know, unincorporated and certainly Pima County has always been kind of a hotbed, if you will, for rabies in the state. Uh, some years are worse than others. Some, you know, some years they may not have any issues. Uh, typically in an urban area, we don't see those issues with rabies because animals don't have the stressors that living in an a open area, you know, less rainfall, less food sources, availability, that kind of thing that that the urban areas provide for these animals. Uh, typically drought issues will uh exacerbate or you know create issues when it comes to rabies. Um, Typically animals are would be unnaturally concentrated at these water sources that are fewer and farther between when there's less rainfall. So anytime whether it's rabies or any other kind of uh, animals that are animal sicknesses and things like that can be spread pretty quickly when these animals are unnaturally concentrated. So certainly when it comes to, you know, unincorporated areas, um, open spaces and things like that, uh, when it comes to domestic animals, you do wanna make sure that they are vaccinated and uh, for rabies ahead of time. If they are, do do get into any issues with wild animals, uh, talk to your vet, see if they need a booster and that kind of thing. A lot of animal control, uh, county Animal Controls will, if your your dog is current on its vaccines, they will, uh, uh, it, you know, do in-home quarantine for your pet uh, for, I think it's up to 10 days and things like that, just to make sure that there's no rabies issues.
1: Does uh, that answer your question, or do you have anything further on that? It does, Darren, we appreciate that. Now, in wrapping up with you, I'd like to talk a little bit about something I'm curious about. I want to go back to the eagles, and I know those aren't urban past, but I can remember it years ago uh, finding out about a closed area because of a bald eagle nest. And, and I, I don't know if I had never stumbled across one before or if it was new, but I researched it. There were like two in the state. This year on y'all's website, y'all are listing twenty-two closed areas for nesting bald eagles. That's awesome. It it sure is. And it kind of just goes to show you the impacts that
2: closing these areas have on bald eagle populations. Back when there was two closures, you know, we were we were struggling to bring bald eagles back from the edge of extinction, if you will, or at least being threatened, and they were on the endangered species list and that kind of thing. So um, those to show you what kind of some sound management, uh, you know, these things didn't just develop overnight. We, You know, long-term strategies, looking at what's effective, what's not effective, and if we can, you know, uh, anyhow, we can uh, minimize the disturbances when these nests are most vulnerable. Uh, then it has a longer impact and certainly allows these young to not only eggs to hatch, but the young to uh, get to fledgling stage. And uh, then they grows the population in Arizona. Our, uh, our Southwestern, you know, bald eagles are, are starting to really come back and we're starting to see them nest and, more and more areas throughout the state, and in, uh, certainly even in more and more human-dominated areas, we have a couple nests on the Salt River, uh, even just near town here, and then along the Gila River in the West Valley, uh, seeing a few nests out there as well. So, kind of goes to show
1: you what we, you know, what we've learned over the years. <laughs> yeah appears to be working I, and i tell folks when they inquire i say hey just bring a pair of binoculars to soar lake marina and look straight across the lake there's one that a pair that nests in those cliffs right above the lake right there there and they make a beautiful display so it's great to be able to encounter it game and fish ran an eagle viewing uh workshop up in flagstaff last weekend i understand that was very well attended darren i can't thank you enough i know you I know you have your family time scheduled on Saturdays. We barged in on it. We robbed you of that. I want you to thank your family for giving us the opportunity to share your wisdom with all of our Arizona on the—Rosie on the House, Arizona home. I will, but it's been my pleasure. Okay, man. Thanks a million. All right. All right, folks. Darlene, we, I'm sorry we were not able to get your call. Do not hang up. We don't let anyone that got through— not get an answer so we'll pick up after we sign off here and, and make sure you get an answer to the question you've got that wraps up another week of Rosie on the house but don't get scared because I promise you two things all week long you can find us at rosieonthehouse.com and next Saturday morning we'll be back
4: And a side note Patriot fans know that Eagles are pests.
1: Go Eagles, that's all I got to say.